Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Number two, they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Mm. So number one, you were designed to be connected to the Lord in such a way that you're experiencing living water, fountains of it, not just a trickle, not just a thumbnail, but fountains of living water. Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, not trickles or creeks, but rivers. We know the difference in New Zealand between a creek and a river. We live in a land of rivers. Amen. We played in the creeks as kids. But there were some rivers we never went to because there was a flow that was too strong for us. Jesus says, I want to flow like a river in your spirit. And if you're not experiencing that, then this is what the Lord says we often do. We start to hew out our own systems, systems and make our own systems up in order to compensate for the fact that we don't have the real deal going on. Is anyone with me this morning? You understand where I'm coming from today. Is anyone else on tank water here? You're not directly plumbed in. One, two, there's, yeah, there's three of us here this morning. We're on tank water. Well, over the Christmas holidays, I was up north visiting my brother-in-law in the mighty metropolis of Dargaville, and I got a phone call from my oldest son, who's uh, at home at Huapai, and he said, Dad, I've got no water coming out of the taps. And I thought, oh dear, this is a problem. And uh, so I said, well, hang tight. We're coming back tomorrow. So we came back down. And uh, sure enough, every tap in the house was open. There was nothing flowing out of the tap. You know, it's uh, until this happens to you in some way, you don't realize, oh, honey, would you just go and boil the jug for a minute? Oh, that's right. No water. Oh, man, that was, that was, a, that was a tough walk this morning. I think I'll have a shower. Oh, that's right. No shower. Um. I think I'll go to the toilet. Oh, that's right. No, no water. Houston, we have a problem here. When there's no water flowing out of your tap, there is major, major problems going on. And uh, so I began to investigate using logic. And you'll see up there on, there's my uh, tank. There's the pipe coming out of my tank on the right-hand side. There's a pump. I took the pump out. There was one place open, you see, because this is the miser in me. I rang the plumbers and they said, you can press zero right now, but you will need to pay the $290 retainer for our plumber who's on call. And so by pressing zero, you agree to pay this amount and then our plumber will help you with the problem. So I said, no, I'm going to fix this myself. (laughs) Amen. Amen. The the good old do-it-yourself mantle was rising on me as a Kiwi. Number eight wire, all that stuff was coming out of me. So anyhow, so I take, I take out the pump 
and uh, take the pump across to Albany to a place that was open. They set it up on their bench, put water through it. No problem. There's nothing wrong with your pump. All right, I've eliminated one problem here. Because you see, there's a tragedy when right on your backyard, there's 10,000 litres of water, but none of it's coming through the taps. It was designed to come out of the reservoir through my water pump, in through the pipes in my house, and when it's required for water to come out of that tap. I hope you realize where we're coming from today. You can see what's coming in this message today. God says, I'm a fountain of living. I'm your resource. I'm your water tank, James. There's thousands of liters at your disposal and you can't even get a trickle out of your tap to impact the world for me. When I said to you, when I come into the human life, there will be fountains and rivers of living water that will flow out of your innermost being to touch the world. But God, I'm struggling just to get a trickle coming out of my life right now to touch the world. So we do a homemade job. And as Jeremiah said, you make your own water tanks, you make your own systems, but there's a problem with them because they're leaky because you're trying to fix things up in your own strength instead of going back to the original plan, which was to have me in the center of it all. Wow. John seven thirty seven. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These are Jesus' words. And then he qualifies it. He says, this is how it's going to work. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We're on the other side of the cross in this conversation. Jesus had to go through the cross in order to provide the key to all of our lives where rivers of living water would no longer be a problem. No leaky pipes, no issues with turning on the tap. Whenever we need power, whenever we need refreshing, whenever we need life, we turn on the tap and the Spirit's power flows through our lives to touch us and to touch the world. Wow. So you've forsaken me, number one. Secondly, you've jimmied up your own system, a system of man to compensate for the fact that you've disconnected from me the source of rivers of living water today. So this was an issue for me because when you're all trying to live in a home without water, I was dipping, I was opening the top of the tank and I was bringing out buckets of water, filling up the bath so that we could, you know, have those hand washes and all that sort of stuff, trying to compensate, trying to still stay in our house. It's actually very difficult to actually live anywhere without water. Just as it's very difficult to live and walk as a Christian without rivers of living water flowing out of your life and my life today. So, I'm looking, I'm looking at every possible thing, taking the pump out. I even had a wash and I jumped in my tank, which had plenty of water. 
I replaced the non-return valve. I did some of my own plumbing. I put it down in the tank. I sawed it off. I got my hacksaw out. I cut it out. This is inside my tank. I'm doing everything to try and get water. Hook it all back up, turn the pump on, no water. So we're getting to the point of frustration here. So I call my mate Brian. Brian, where are you? Put your hand up, brother. Here he is, the man of the hour. Brian. People who come from farms in the South Island, they know a lot of things that we don't know. And so Brian comes out and he says, I've got a spare water pump. Do you want me to bring that out as well? And I said, yeah, well, mine's actually working, but it's not bringing water into my house. So Brian comes out. So we swap the pumps over. We do the same thing. We, we turn it on. And for about three seconds, the pump goes, no water. So as we're looking for a solution, we begin to realize that there And see, where I'm coming from in this is that I want to summarize the book of Ephesians in one short sentence. The book of Ephesians can be summarized, the whole book, in a short sentence. Christ through the church to the community. Christ through the church to the community. James, big water tank on your back lawn. Through my water pump. Into the community of many taps, of which none are working at the moment, inside my house. Christ through the church to the community. So, as we continue, if I can just go through to the next slide. You see that little join there? Brian and I begin to look at this join here. And I said, should we give this a wriggle? and see if we can see any leaks or anything that might give us, because we've tried everything at this point. I'm two full days working on this problem. Frustration levels are rising. Wifey has no water in the house. This is a serious issue. The hucker is ready to be done very shortly if I don't find water coming through my taps. So we give this... We give this joint a little bit of a wriggle, vigorous wriggle, and a tiny, weeny, eensy, teensy, beensy, little slither of moisture came out through the bottom of that joint. And I said to my good friend, Brian, who's fixed many a problem before, I said, surely something as small as this is not stopping my water pump. And he said, yes, it probably is. So we took the hacksaw out, we hacksawed that joint out, we rimmed it out, we uh, we then reset another piece of pipe in there, we got some hot glue, which is actually just really strong glue, it's called hot glue, so we got some hot glue and we connected it back together and I said, right, here it is, here's the moment of truth. And we switched that pump on. It only went for two to three seconds before it would get a vacuum of air and switch off so it doesn't burn out. We switched it on and three seconds went past. Four seconds went past. Five seconds went past. And then a whole minute I said, honey, turn on the tap. 
praise God. There should be water in our house today. So she runs and she turns on and she turns all the taps on. Yes, we have water in our house today. Praise God. So I want to talk to us today as we look at a pastoral letter to God's leader and people in the house where Paul focuses on some common leaks that appear in all of our lives where the great aged apostle who has a lifetime of ministry experience, who's been in prison for his faith, who's been beaten for his faith, he writes two letters to the young pastor and gives him some general advice about how he should run his life, including making sure you cause the leaks in your life to be fixed. Are you with me today, church? Number one today, So I'm skipping down here, Holly. Number one today is the first leak he mentions in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, where for God, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. There's a big leak right there. Hello. A big leak right there. In COVID days, coronavirus times, wars, rumors of wars, famines, right around the world, the world has been turned upside down. Nothing is the same today. Many, many, many are being ruled by a spirit of fear. So he says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, of love. And a sound mind or self-control as he speaks to this young man. You see, this young man was facing some big obstacles. He was half Jewish. He was half Greek or half Gentile. He'd been raised in the faith. He had something genuine passed down from his grandmother to his mother and now down to him as a young man. So he had the real deal going on in his life, but he was young. And Paul's trying to encourage him, don't despise your youth. Don't be worried about how old you are. It's not how old you are, it's what's coming out of the tap of your life. That's what really counts. And so I'm here to advise you, Timothy. I'm here to advise you how you can stop this the, a leaky life Systems that you would try and make up to compensate for not having the real thing. And I want to share a few of them. And the first one I want to hit with you is do not give in to a spirit of fear over your life today. What is fear? It's simply false evidence appearing real. Most fear is absolutely no evidence basis to it, but it is in the vain imagination of our minds where something begins to loom dark and big within our minds to the extent that it begins to paralyze our movements. And suddenly we find ourselves that we're not prepared to step out and give things a go because we're scared that no water is going to come out of the tap. And so what do we do? We do nothing. Like the man who says there's a lion out there in the street through the prophetic word this morning. And he sits back in the safety zone because fear has begun to corral him in or her in until we can no longer be effective in the kingdom of God today. We hide away like Gideon of old in the winepress. And so if we look back at these two verses, three verses of 1 Timothy 5, it says this, I call to remember, and here it is, the genuine faith that is in you, which was first in your grandmother Lois 
and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded as in you also. This is what Paul is saying to him. All the pipes are in place. All the plumbing's there. All the connections and joints have been made in your life, Timothy, through your mother Eunice, through your grandmother Lois. You have all the equipment on board. There is no problem with what you have been given. It's genuine. It's genuine faith, Timothy, that's been passed on to you. But that genuine faith that's been given to you has the potential to leak through a spirit of fear coming into your life so that you'll never step forward and make your life count for the kingdom of God. For God, he says, therefore I remind you, here's the solution, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind today. You know, many years ago, I was... um, I've traveled up to Asia for the last 20 years every year. So this is the longest time I've been stuck in New Zealand since I was a younger uh, Christian because of the coronavirus. So it's very frustrating for us, those of us who have been involved in global mission. But in in the year 2002, I was uh, traveling over uh, the nation of Laos In 2002, Laos was the second highest rated persecuted nation on planet Earth for Christians and believers. And so we're heading right into the enemy's territory. And we were heading up to a a global uh, world heritage site because of the seven great Buddhas that were all made out of gold and built on top of seven mountains in a place called Luang Prabang. And I jumped on that plane. I had a highly trained intercession team. They, was, they were the Navy SEALs of Christianity. One of them was an ex-Vietnam veteran who did two tours in Vietnam. They were on my team. They were great men of God. And in the middle of that flight, I, got, I won't go into the details because I don't want people to be scared of what, I, what I'm going to share with you, but I want to give it as a personal testimony of how fear tried to get into my life. And this spirit, King hit me on that flight, knocked me out. Came through the bulkhead of the plane. I saw it. I yelled out to my friend, I'm being attacked. And then it went straight through my body and knocked me unconscious. Right there on an airplane. And uh, they had to carry me off the plane. They had to carry me through customs. I was put in a wheelchair. And it took me three days to recover so that I could even walk. Did I ever want at that point to ever get on an airplane again? I tell you what, I was absolutely paralyzed through that incident that took place. And so the rest of the team, they would go out and they'd do reconnaissance and they'd go in prayer teams out throughout this place. We knew we were facing some big principalities. And meanwhile, I was wallowing in self-pity, chastising myself, what kind of man of God are you that the devil can pick on you and you can be incapacitated just like that? And he really rubbed in the condemnation He really ground me down till I never, ever, ever. I was wondering how I was going to get home because I'd never wanted to get on an airplane ever again. When you've had something like this happen to you, that's so real. It's unbelievable how it plays with your mind. So as I began to get really honest with the Lord, 
the Lord began to convict me deeply within my life that I had that I had given in to a spirit of fear, and that's what had opened the door to this principality in my life. And I had to repent. And I mean, when I say repent, I mean it was, it was nasty. It was blubbery. It was humbling. It was on your face on the floor, crying out for God's mercy, for being a wimp, and begging God to forgive me and to strengthen my life again so that I could get up off that floor and do what God had called me to do. And God forgave me. God cleansed me. God washed me with many tears. And I got up off that floor and I knew once again that the Spirit of God was in control of my life and that water was going to flow out of my taps. And we tackled those demonic powers in that region. We tackled the strongest uh, Buddhist temple in that area, and God gave us tremendous victory. I, well, I haven't got time to go into the whole story, but I got on that plane and flew out of that place with a great victory lap in my spirit. I felt like jumping up and running up and down the aisle of that plane, knowing that I defeated that spirit and that it wasn't going to hold me captive. You see, there's all kinds of fears. There's fear of the future. There's fear of sickness. There's fear of being broke. There's all kinds of fears that plague our life that will keep knocking on your door. They're looking for an access point into our life because they know if they can stop the water flow, if we have a leak that sprung up within our life, that the devil can rend us ineffective and powerless for the kingdom of God. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about here today? So he goes on a few verses later in, uh, in verse 8. Number two, the second leak I want to talk about is shame. Shame, because he goes on and he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. He's warning Timothy, and he's saying, I know that people are are trying to pull you down because you're young. I know that the strong religious community are trying to pull you down because you're not fully Jewish, that you've been raised in a Gentile world. And there's a strong religious system that's operating in the local synagogue. I know that you've been that, that they're trying to pull you down in this area and trying to make you ashamed that you're a half breed. But he's saying he's saying to he's saying to Timothy, I don't want you to spring a leak of shame within your life. What is shame? Shame is simply this: it's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. You know, we've all felt this when people have asked us about our faith. Have you felt loud and proud and declared openly and honestly that you love Jesus and that you follow him fully with all of your heart to every person that's given an opportunity to you to share your faith? Or has there been times when you've backpedaled Big time, and you, it's like you've got a zip over your mouth and you just can't, you feel paralyzed to speak and you feel that shame because you just denied Jesus to that person. Am I the only one here that's ever experienced that within our life? You see, shame's a horrible thing. Shame drives us underground. Shame stops us from poking our head up. Shame keeps, a, keeps a, a cloak and a garment over our lives that keeps us living in the hidden secret place 
and confines us to the stage that we feel handcuffed and we feel like we can't actually do anything for God because every time we do, the voice of shame speaks over our life and says, you're worthless, you're useless. Who do you think you are? You're not the man of faith and power. You're the man of paste and flour. You're not, you haven't got anything going. You haven't got anything going for you in your life. Remember what you did this time last week? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I want you to remember that. You should be ashamed of yourself. Canceling out the grace of God at work within our lives. So what breaks shame? The great news is that shame can be broken over all of our lives. Because the reality is we've all done things that we're ashamed of. If you haven't, you're not human. But God factored that in when he sent Jesus' son to break the power of shame over our lives. And there's this commodity that he's given to every single one of us that you need to highly invest in in your life, and it's called grace. It's called the grace of God. Did you know that you can't earn it? That you can't, by your good behavior and your brownie points, earn this grace? God says, through my son Jesus and what he's done on your behalf, I'm going to credit it to your account. All you need to do is believe, and I'm going to send grace, my unmerited favor and goodness your way. And it's through that grace that you're going to learn to overcome and become an overcomer within your life. You want proof? Look at this. 2 Timothy 1, in the first letter, to Timothy, a beloved son. What does he pass on to him? Grace, mercy, and peace. Why would you ever start a salutation like that and greet somebody? Grace to you this morning, Sister Vivian. Grace to you. Mercy to you, Sister Vivian. That you would be a sister of mercy and receive God's mercy. She wanted to be a nun once upon a time before she met me. All I'm thinking is Whoopi Goldberg. That's all I'm thinking when I'm thinking of Sister Vivian as a nun. (laughs) Second letter, he goes on. Listen to this. This is what we call a, a paradox. Something that's upside down to our thinking. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's, this is so cool. He's saying, I recognize, Timothy, that you have the capacity to leak all over the place, that you're weak in so many ways. Therefore, I want you to understand this. If you want to be strong, you've got to be strong in the grace, my favor, my kindness, my mercy being granted to you. And when you take that on board in your life and stop trying to do it in your own strength, then you're going to be an overcomer. No more leaks. You're going to be able to get the water out of that tap and touch the world for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give me an amen. Somebody this morning. Be strong in the grace. Lastly, this morning, the third leak I want to talk about is the leak of lust. Lust. We love to talk about what the Bible teaches in this church. And listen, I want to just say this to you. The world is talking about this. Have any of you seen the video of the young boy who's accessing pornography on the internet and suddenly the two porn stars come knocking on the door? You seen that ad? What a great ad. What a tremendous ad. And the mother answers the door and says, oh, excuse me, your son's actually been watching us online and we're here in person 
to show him that what's happening in real life is actually not what is real. And he walks out with his laptop, and there they are in person who he's just been watching online. It's a tremendous lesson. Now, if the world's talking about it, why can't the church talk about it? Come on. We've got to focus in. And, and, and Paul had no fears about talking about this because lust is more than sexual impropriety. We can lust after power. We can lust after fame. We can lust after money and greed. We can lust after all these other things. It's not just about sexual lust. Lust is far greater than that because lust is a longing and a desire for what is forbidden. That's what lust means. So he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts. What's the alternative? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, Timothy, change your focus because he lived in a very lustful society. You're talking first century Greece you're talking about an incredible, lustful culture and society where anything goes, orgies, the whole lot, where anything goes. So he's saying to him, Timothy, I want you to flee you for lust. Don't focus on lust. I want you to pursue these commodities, righteousness, learn to live right with me. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Say, pursue right living. And along with that, take on board faith, love, and peace within your life. And you're going to learn to overcome. You know, Potiphar's wife, no doubt a beautiful Egyptian woman, she had everything she needed. She had a wealthy husband. She had respect in her culture. She had everything. She probably had the latest modern kitchen with all the latest mod cons. She had everything going. Probably had a Lamborghini parked in the, parked in the garage. All these things. Yeah, fast camel, fast camel, supersonic camel. <laughs> she, she probably had all these things, and yet she still lusted after the one thing that she couldn't have, this young Hebrew man who was intelligent, good-looking, lean, muscly. She says, I want him, except you can't have him because you're already married. So lust for sex outside of God's defined boundaries is forbidden. What about Achan? Achan, God specifically gives instructions. When you defeat your enemies, round up all the treasure. We're going to put it all into the Lord's treasury. You are not to take anything for yourself. What does Achan do? Oh, gold, trinkets, bright, shiny stones. I think I'll have some of those. So he takes them and he hides them under the floorboards in his tent. And suddenly Israel has their power taken away from them. They go out to battle and they're weak, useless. They can't even knock over a flea. And Joshua is saying, Moses is saying, there's something wrong here. Because Achan sprung a leak. And he lusted after the wrong thing, allowed it into his life. And so the Lord tracks it all down to one tent, lift up the floorboards. There's the forbidden treasure. Wow. Wow. What about Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts? He sees the apostle Peter laying hands on people. They suddenly start speaking in tongues. They have the ability to do miracles. And he says, I've got some money. I would like to pay you so I can have the same power that you've got. What was his sin? 
the lust for power. He wanted the power and thought that he could buy the gifts of God with money. That's lust as well, the lust for power. So lust comes in many shapes and sizes. So he says, Timothy, don't start leaking in this area of lust. It will ruin your life. You need to check it at the doorway of your mind. Do not even allow it in one incy-tincy bit into your mind because it will destroy you and it will destroy your ministry this morning. I want to conclude this morning by painting a motivational picture of the same book a few verses later where Timothy begins to paint this picture of giving us all a vision of how we can live our lives. Verse 20 of chapter 2, 2 Timothy, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver. You know, that's the ones that we all put up on the mantelpiece. You know the ones? That's the one that gets prominent position in our homes. The flash vessels, the nice vessels. The ones that you don't put on trade me. The ones that have a lot of meaning to you. But he says there's not only the flash vessels of gold and silver, but there's also vessels of wood and clay. Basic human materials that are common to everybody. And he says some of these vessels are for honor and some of them will create dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from being a dishonorable vessel, how do we be a dishonorable vessel? By not dealing with the leaks. Come on, Pastor James, you must have some leaks. Yeah, I'm a leaky sieve. We're all leaky sieves. But I'm not in denial And as soon as I see that leak starting to spring out in my life, I want to deal with it immediately. And and I mean immediately on the spot. I'm not prepared to allow that thing to get bigger until I realize that I go out to do ministry and I've got no power because God stripped it of me like Samson, who who got up, shook himself after he'd sinned many times. God had given many opportunities to get right, shook himself and went out to do feats of strength, but suddenly he had no power because Delilah had cut his hair, the secret of his strength. And this is what happens when we repeatedly deny the grace of God at work within our life and we refuse to deal with the leaks. We get up and think that we can do it and go like we did before and suddenly there's no anointing, there's no strength, there's no power in our lives because we've failed to deal with the leaks. So he says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from being a vessel of dishonor, he will become a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful. Sanctify, what does that mean? Set apart. It means that you have focused intentionality that God will use your life because you've aligned yourself with him. You're dealing with the leaks as they spring up within your life and you're not prepared to allow them to derail you from the kingdom of God. And God says, now you're useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. Remember the book of Ephesians? Christ, through the church, to the community. Our problem is that the community is dusty, dry, like a desert, and needs some water. And God says the secret for the community getting water is through the church. The plan for the community to receive water is through the church. 
And when it's not coming through the church like my water pump, not delivering into my home, then suddenly the community doesn't know what Jesus tastes like, feels like, looks like, because there's nothing coming through Christ, through the church to the community, because we've got so many leaks that we're not dealing with that the community is no longer getting what the community needs. Could we stand to our feet this morning, church?